This is Cup of Go for July 7th, 2023. Keep up to date with the important happenings in the Go community in 15 minutes per week. I'm Shai Nechmad. And I'm Jonathan Hall. Good morning. Good morning. You all can see it, but Jonathan is uh, not only building software, he's also in a construction site right now. Yes. <laughs> Looking pretty rough. Yes, my attic office was rebuilt last week. Why? Because you had a problem in a component. Yeah, we had some uh, some leaky abstractions or, or leaky windows, I guess. Oh, windows is bad? The windows. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. All right. But now that we got the obligatory, Jonathan uses Linux. It was, it was an old deprecated version. <laughs> you know, I'm stuck on Windows 10. I have a super brand new gaming PC and I'm stuck on Windows 10. I don't know why. Anyways, let's get to Go News. People don't want to hear about Windows. Right. All right, so let's talk about Go 121. We have just a couple of notes to finish out the release notes. Uh, we talked about more things in Go 121 in previous episodes, but again, go read the release notes for yourselves. Don't just get our take for it. And the first feature we want to discuss is the new CMP Slice and Maps packages. So why do we need new CMP? Okay. Isn't, aren't slices just perfect? <laughs> I don't know. They might be. Uh, aside from the name, I don't like the name, but... Uh... I think the real thing here is that we have generics now, which isn't really new anymore, but the standard library yeah, hasn't caught up. Old so news. these are uh, generics-based packages. Yeah, yeah. So we talked about this in the past. Now that generics has been uh, introduced, we can do many common operations using generic functions that we'll use you know, for slices or maps of any types. And then the new CMP package has something called ordered, which is a type constraint, something you can put on a generic type, and two new generic functions, which come you know, hand in hand with ordered, less and compare, which are useful if your type is constrained by being ordered. For let's say you want to order all your users by their ID or whatever. So I think these are just useful utilities that everybody already wrote for themselves in their project. So it's good to see it finally happening. Definitely. And also in things that are good to see that are finally happening, tell us about S-Log. S-Log is probably my favorite feature of Go 121. Uh, it's the new structured logging capabilities, which we have discussed before. So it's probably not new news unless you're tuning in for the first time. But if you have ever used a package like Logress or Zero Log, or any, there's a thousand other uh, logging libraries out there that do structured logging, um, finally we have a standard library implementation that's coming in Go 121. You can already experiment with it with their experimental package, um, but the, the final stable API will be released in 1.21. It's not my favorite API. It's kind of like GoFumped. Uh, I don't think it's everybody's favorite, but the fact that it is standard is everybody's favorite. So I'm really excited about this. And I'm working with my, one of my clients right now on a project that has no standard logging. I think they're using Logris, but a very customized wrapper around it. So I'm looking forward to replacing that nonsense with S-Log and uh, making the application easier to work with. So check out S-Log. It's, I think it's the best feature of Go121, which is saying a lot because there's a lot of cool features in Go121. I don't know. I really like the performance improvements from uh, PGO, but... One thing that sort of surprised me is the S-Log test package. I like looked at it and I was like, really, we're testing logging? But I guess it's better to have test than no test. I thought we, like as a developer community, as a, as a profession, sort of agreed to stay silent about coverage for logging, right? Oh, we don't really need to test it. It's fine. Uh, but I guess they wanted to. Yeah, I think a lot of times it is appropriate to not test your logs. Like you, you don't want every 
test of a function to validate that the logging is correct. But you probably want one test to validate that the logging is correct because if you're not logging something important, that's kind of important to know about. So I don't agree with the test suites like the one on this project I'm working on right now where all the log output is tested. That's one pattern. Or where it just goes to standard output and you just have this, you're spamming your console uh, when you run your test. That's another pattern I see. So those are problems. But there are times when it's appropriate to test your logs, I believe. Yeah. I also think it's it's used to test the infrastructure itself as well and not just uh, application logging. So obviously they need it. Sure. So great to see it as well. Yep. I just it's fun to see, you know, tests being included as well as in the same version and not as an afterthought in the next version. And one last thing about Go121, thanks to the work done in Go121, but this is something huge that's uh, going on uh, with a lot of input from a lot of people is the execution tracer overhaul. I want to dive deep into this one a little bit. Um, so, you know, put your headphones on straight. What is the execution tracer? When you want to do traces of, you know, what happened in execution, Go provides that. You have moment-to-moment view of what happens in a Go program if you want it. This is super valuable, right? Let's say I have a server and it runs like over time, does some DB queries, answers some people, like whatever, you know, usual backend work. Usually the initial state and the state after 10 minutes is not the same. Uh, resource leaks, mm-hmm. like whatever. These are where the real nasty bugs hide. You know, when you release a new version on uh, before the weekend and you go to the weekend and then on the on the morning, you're like, stretch, you look at your phone and it's like 10 uh, unanswered calls. Why is the service crashing? Uh, so because Go has a runtime, you can provide really deep information about what's going on there without a ton of external dependencies. But the traces so far, it has a lot of uh, limitations. For example, if the trace is very big, you basically can't work with it and you can't align them with other traces, et cetera, et cetera. They took all the problems and they're trying to solve them. And the main thing, you know, it's a grand old rewrite, which is very exciting. It's not like another patch and another patch. They did a new design document. I really, really think you all should read it. It's very good. The bottom line is that thanks to Go121, other than all the improvements in the design and the architecture and the features, the runtime overhead from running an execution tracer is a lot uh, less impactful. So there's basically no reason to not do it in production if you have a big enough team or if you have a lot of runtime errors or you know memory issues or stuff you want to trace in production. So it's 10% less throughput and 10% more request latency. That's what it used to be. Now it's 1%, which is negligible. It really doesn't matter. So I think this is a really, really strong feature of Go uh, 121. It's super deep. So you have to really go read the design document and the issue to understand it fully. But I'm super excited about it. Really, really strong thing coming from, you know, the stuff we worked on in 121 and currently scheduled for 122 to be released. So, you know, kudos to them for working on it because I think it's the hardest thing ever. It's so complicated. I could definitely not do it, but it's very interesting. Awesome. Uh, all right. What are people talking about? Yeah, so uh, we don't have a lot of proposals to talk about, although that's not to say that nothing's been happening there. There's just nothing that really jumps out except for a pre-proposal, a discussion. And this has gotten some press coverage. Uh, it's been on Reddit. It's been I've seen it on LinkedIn mentioned a few times. Um, and it's got a few people concerned, I guess is the word. I don't want to say livid, uh, although maybe some people are. But the proposal or the discussion is, should we stop using the GitHub pull request bridge to Garrett for Go contributions? 
Now, some people listening are thinking, like, that just sounds like Greek. What the heck are you talking about? So a little bit of background first. The official source control for the Go project, the, the compiler, the linker, the standard library, is in a tool called Garrett, which is hosted by Google, because that's what Google uses. I, I suppose they use that internally, or at least for some of their open source projects. So if you, when you go to the GitHub issue tracker for Go, you're not actually looking at the official code repository. You're looking at a mirror of it. Uh, so they use GitHub issues to track bug reports, but they keep the source control in Garrett. So then they, uh, at some point later on, they set up this bridge between GitHub pull requests and Garrett's CLs or change list, which is the same sort of concept. So if you create a pull request against the github.com slash golang slash go project, it creates a CL in Garrett and kind of halfway implements the, the workflow that they use to improve pull requests or, or to, to approve pull requests or to, to improve CLs. They're discussing whether or not to remove this bridge. And the, the reasons are essentially that it doesn't map very well. And most people who create a pull request, unless it's perfect the first time, which is unlikely even for, for serious contributors who do this all the time, it's incredibly unlikely for a first-time contributor where this is most commonly used, will have to create a Garrett account and log into Garrett anyway to finish the workflow. Uh, so, And they noticed that many of these pull requests from first-time contributors just get abandoned, presumably because of that sort of barrier to entry. You know, Making a pull request is easy because they're familiar, but then following up through Garrett is not easy and they just never do it. So a discussion now about whether or not to remove this GitHub to Garrett bridge for the purpose of PRs. To be clear, this is not about removing GitHub issues for bug tracking and so on. That, that's not on the table. That's staying, as far as I know. So there you have it. That's, that's kind of the, the discussion that's going on. As of this recording, the discussion has 45 thumbs ups and 27 thumbs downs. So it's not quite an even split, but it's certainly not uh, an overwhelmingly popular proposal. Yeah, so I actually am one of the people who downvoted. Tell me why. Uh, the the project is uh, led by a team in Google, and I'm super happy for their leadership. They're doing a really good job, but not you know maintaining the bridge and trying to make it easier, and perhaps you know introducing stuff earlier in the Go project, perhaps with pre-commit hooks, perhaps with other options. Like there are creative solutions to that that are not, this is what the team that leads this project likes to interact with. So this is how you're going to work. Team rules, team rules kind of things. And I know a lot of people would have been discouraged if they have to open up you know, an account anyways. I think that the work should be to extend the bridge more towards GitHub because that's where most open source code is maintained today. It's Microsoft turf, you know, so it, it feels a little bit uh, more, I guess, uh, community-ish to be spread around in both in Google's turf and Microsoft turf. And also, you know, especially first-time contributors, they're not going to open up Garrett. It's just not going to happen. Uh, so I think we will lose you know, some contributions that are valuable, even if it's just a documentation fix. There's no reason to cause mm-hmm. developers to have, you know, a mind split. Oh, I want to develop in my in my company, then I use GitHub. I want to develop for the Go project, I switch to Garrett. There's no reason to c- cause them to have split brain. Um, I don't really believe that the differences between GitHub and Garrett are that immense. And I think that there are more creative solutions, such as, you know, default pre-commit hooks, such as quicker checks, like whatever, uh, that could help developers, you know, set up their commits and pull requests in a way that's acceptable to the Go project. Whatever solution they choose, I am, of course, 100% on board with making it more accessible. And I don't know if they have anybody on staff doing this, but I think it would be a, a good idea to have somebody at Google or elsewhere whose sole job is to help improve that developer experience for 
Go contributions. And of course, that's one of the reasons we do this podcast is to help make Go more accessible to people. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm completely behind that. Whatever solution they choose, whether it's investing in making that bridge better or switching to GitHub entirely or, or whatever, I don't care. Um, but I do want it to, to be available to everybody. Or even, you know, Garrett like training and making it super obvious how to, how to do it yeah. better. Speaking of things that are available to everyone, uh, we saw a nice blog post this last week by Preslav Rachev, I hope I say that correctly, called Podcasts for Go Developers. And he, he dug deep and he found some great podcasts that I wasn't aware of uh, that talk a lot about Go. Of course, some of the main ones are there. The Go Time podcast is probably, I believe, the most popular Go podcast. I don't know their listener numbers, but it's the one I hear talked about most. This podcast was on the list. Arden Labs podcast uh, was on the list. Arden Labs is the company that sponsors the Go for Slack, uh, and they have their own podcast, so check that one out. And optimize all the things. I think this is one that's not specifically Go-related, but both hosts are Go experts, so of course it comes up a lot. There's Go Podcast, which has the clever name of Go Podcast, which you kind of have to see to understand. It's Go Space Podcast with parentheses, so it's like launching a Go routine to listen to your podcast. And then finally, uh, Back in Banter, which uh, is hosted by Lane Wagner, who we had on the show a few weeks ago. So this is another one that's not specifically about Go. It's about back-end development, but Lane is a Go developer and talks about Go a lot, as well as a few other languages which is Python and JavaScript. So we'll have a link to this uh, list in our show notes. Check it out and uh, listen to the other podcasts. If you're listening to this one, I have a strong suspicion you like podcasts. So you'll probably like at least one other on this list as well. Yeah, and thanks, Presla, for the really nice uh, you know, description. Uh, we appreciate it. Uh, we, we were glad you enjoyed it. And actually, you know, not to praise Presla too much, but he has some other cool blog posts as well, uh, not just uh, lists um, that I sort of liked about giving uh, go talk proposals and stuff like that. So cool stuff there as well. Awesome. All right. Uh, one thing we saw around the community, I actually saw it in my Israeli Go community, is that, you know, we have meetups every now and then, right? And one of the organizers sent to the mailing list that they want to set up a job seeking board because, you know, in this market, it makes sense that uh, it's a bit harder to get a development job. It's a bit harder to put your foot in the door, especially if you're a junior. You know, a lot of people are talking to him as the community organizer. You know, can you help me find a new job? Can you help me find uh, good Go developers from the, you know, from the other side of that, uh, uh, of that question? So in the Go Israel community, they're trying a new message board for uh, Golang job opportunities. You know, we thought about doing one for the show, but then we realized that we're on the Go for Slack and there's already a way to do that. So... If I'm a listener and I want to get a Go job or I want to hire some Go developers, if I'm a team lead or if I, if there's an opening in my company, where should I go, Jonathan? The best place I know to go for Go jobs is the Go for Slack. They have a number of channels that are aimed directly at you, dear listener. Um, if you're not already familiar, check out the channel called Just Jobs, hashtag jobs. There's also jobs-remote. Many jobs get posted to both. Uh, cross-posting is allowed. But if you're looking for a remote job, Specifically, jobs remote. Um, and then if you're looking for freelance type work, there's a, a channel confusingly named contract underscore freelance. It's not jobs freelance or whatever, just contract underscore freelance. And then one last one I'll mention, actually the channel I'm most active in on the Gopher Slack is called jobs dash discussion. And that's a place where we just kind of talk about finding how to find work. And we do CV reviews uh, or talk about tips and tricks and how, to, how do you practice for an interview. So if that's the sort of stuff you're interested in, if you're trying to get your first job, that's a good channel for you to get some support as well. 
Yeah, so cool. And if you got a job through the podcast, you know, it's uh, we're super happy for you and we take just 20%. <laughs> of the first 10 years. Yeah, of course. Of your next job and every, you know, job that any of your uh, descendants may have. Uh, all right, so we have a few small things to that we saw around the community. Um, the first thing is SQLC, which is a really cool project that went full time. Did you get a chance to review that blog post? Very briefly. So I've only recently become familiar with SQLC. Uh, we're using it on one of the projects I'm working on with one of my clients. Um, although and some code that I'm not really using. So I haven't directly used SQLC, but I've heard good things about it. Um, and it claims to be sort of like a reverse ORM. Uh, I don't know if I like that or not because I hate ORMs. So maybe it's good that it's a reverse one or maybe it's too similar. I don't know yet. I haven't really played with it, like I said. But a lot of people like it, whether you like ORMs or not or whether you care about my opinion or not. It's a popular project. It's cool to see a new open source project that's going full time. That's amazing. I love it when open source succeeds. Yeah, it's a really, really nice strategy. They have a bunch of great features planned, by the way, uh, are going to get shipped. Like SQLC vet, sort of like a go vet. They're going to have SQLC vet that find some lint errors in your SQL that is valid from a syntax endpoint, but you're probably messing something up. You know, it sort of uses a DB connection to really check it. And I really like this project. Reverse ORM is a good way to think about it. But if you hate ORMs, then you should love SQLC. Because the reason people hate ORMs is because it distances them from the DB, right? From actually using the stuff. Um, and I'm That's sharing... one reason. Yeah, yeah I, I share that with you. Like, I really like the way we I used uh, Bun in my previous company because it's a very low-level ORM. You're, you basically write SQL uh, just in Go. And when you work with SQLC, you just write SQL, which I think is a highly underappreciated skill. I know I can definitely get better in you know DBA and, and writing good queries and actually thinking about it. And I'm just uh, hyped to see them you know, working full-time. Like you said, seeing open source succeed financially is super great. Uh, good luck, Kyle and Andrew. We're behind you. Uh, they're opening a new company. We're, we're all going to call you the SQLC company. But they decided with a different name for their company for some reason. It's called <laughs> Riza. Good luck with that rebranding. But you're going to stay SQLC in our hearts, at least. Cool. All right, two small uh, discussions we saw on the community that sort of talked to us about stuff we already talked about um, and we wanted to mention. One is on Reddit. Uh, someone asked if there is a Vercel-like service uh, with a nice free tier for their projects. Uh, I can help but answer, you know, did you mention this? People mentioned uh, Fly.io, which I didn't play around but seems nice. Using some, you know, cloud providers like Cloud Run with uh, GCP or AWS functions or whatever. And of course, someone mentioned our good friends at Koya. Uh, this is not sponsored. I literally saw it on Reddit. So, uh, you know, there are a few options here. So uh, Koya has some fierce competition. But, you know, I can definitely recommend them. I'm running two projects already, and it's been working great for me. Awesome. It's really fun to see how Vercel became a standard. They're doing mm -hmm. such good work for front-end, and we in the back-end world are suffering. You don't know how good front-end devs have it. Yeah. So one last thing we saw is a really cool tweet. Yeah, so this is a follow-up to uh, our episode a couple weeks ago with John Arundel, which, by the way, has been our most downloaded episode ever. So big shout-out to our new listeners who joined his episode. But uh, we talked in that episode about whether Go is a good first language and some different views on that. But we got some uh, some traction on that on Twitter, and we had one person in particular. I don't know if this is their real name or just their, their handle, but it, uh, Sagar Singh, that's probably a real name, says, Go is my first language, and I am liking it for sure. I'm able to build all kinds of stuff with it and contribute 
contribute in open source. If anyone is starting out in DevOps, I think Golang is a great choice as their first language. So I don't know what better endorsement you can have from somebody who, for whom it is their first language. I mean, if people are learning it as a first language successfully, then that kind of is the answer. It, it can be a good first language. So it's nice to hear that from some people. Yeah, and I asked Sagar what was hardest for him to, you know, grok. And he only started programming two months ago. And the concept of structs and interfaces gave him a tough time. But after practicing, mm-hmm. he now understands them well. It's a good thing our language doesn't have generics. Oh, wait, I'm just kidding. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, but uh, super cool to see that. We had some discussions with people who are already experienced sharing their opinion about Go as a first language. It's super interesting to see someone actually going through it. And uh, Sagar, we wish you luck. Hopefully you'll uh, become a very good uh, DevOps developer so the rest of us don't have to touch Terraform ever again. All right, that wraps it up for this week. Uh, we ran a bit long, but we don't have an interview this week for you. Uh, so I think that's fine. Stick around for our ad break. <music> Thanks for sticking around through this little bit extra long episode. Um, we don't really have an ad break per se this week, but we do want to tell you how to get a hold of us. Uh, if you would take the time and leave in a review on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts, we would love for you to do that. We would also love for you to share the podcast with a friend or a colleague or fellow student. Uh, Get the word out. Uh, As I mentioned earlier in the main show, our episode two weeks ago was the most downloaded ever. Let's see if we can break that record again. We love hearing from the listeners. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can obviously do that by email. Our email address is news at cupogo.dev. Our website is cupogo.dev. That's the one you can share with your friends if you don't want to share a link to a specific episode. And of course, uh, the easiest way to contact us probably is on Slack. We're on the official Gophers Slack and our own Cupogo channel, cup-o-go. So stop by. We have a growing number of listeners there, almost 150 already. So come join us on the Cupogo channel on Slack. 150? What? Oh, really? Dude, we have almost 150 people in the channel. That's cool. Yeah, also we wanted to mention uh, this week, we wanted to shout out our editor, Filippo. Everybody give it up for Filippo. We've been making it a bit harder for him recently. Hang on, do that again. Okay. Oh, (laughs) we also want to shout out our editor, Filippo, who's been doing really good work. Uh, We've been making it a bit harder for him recently uh, with a bunch of edits and technical issues and whatever. Uh, He's been doing great work. Uh, So shout out, Filippo. Nice. Although, honestly, he could have probably edited <laughs> himself. He could have, but it would be awkward for him to have to edit in his own clapping. So we have yeah, to that's a him. bit weird. Uh, anyway, so thanks, Filippo. <laughs> we appreciate your bleeping and editing work. Uh, thanks a lot. Great work, yes. Last thing I wanted to mention, uh, and I want to keep it for the ad break because it's a bit commercial-ish. Uh, I posted a cool new blog post this week with a company that I work with. It's called Lunar. Um, and it talks about API consumption. And I wrote an open source uh, server in Go that sort of, it's called Problematic API Server, teaches you how to deal with like 429s and 500s and whatever. Uh, so if you work with APIs, perhaps check it out. And check out Lunar for sure. They're building something really cool and, and they're still very early stage. Uh, so you can check them out. That's it. Very good. Hope to see you all next week. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye.